The month of August, as you may know, is one of the most popular months of the year to take a vacation. And for my family, that's usually because it's the tail end of the kids' summer vacation and the last chance for us to get away together. The kids are nearly grown now. Our youngest is just a few weeks away from turning 16. Watch out. Fair warning, he's going to drive. I am pretty confident that Mike and I will start planning to vacation when it's cooler, please. Now that the boys are old enough to opt out of our famous or infamous, depending on who you ask, family road trips. I can't imagine them wanting to share a back seat, given the fact that all three of them are over six feet tall now. Although it might be funny to see, so work with me on getting them to go. Just one trip, one trip. Anyway, those of us who have eschewed a vacation and have been home this month, we've decided to take a permanent vacation of sorts. A vacation from those attitudes and beliefs which keep us from expressing God's love, being God's light, and living God's truth. And this week, we bring our Take a Vacation theme to a close in what I think is a a really fun way, with the help of some familiar faces. One of Ernest Holmes' most most famous sayings, and probably a favorite, was change your thinking and change your life. Well, it's my deepest desire that this month we've realized the power that our thinking has in creating a change in our lives, a change for the better, one that's free of scarcity, free of anger, and free of stress. And today we take a vacation from negativity, and this is a big one. We all, myself included, complain and whine and see some things from a less than positive perspective from time to time, do we not? Yeah. As I was thinking about how to approach this topic, I remembered a story from a wonderful old book called Your Aladdin's Lamp. It was written by Harlan Ware and somebody else whom some of you may be familiar with, William or Bill Hornaday. Uh Uh-huh, some of you got that. Bill Hornaday was Ernest Holmes' protege, his successor when Holmes transitioned in 1960, and he was instrumental in convincing Ernest to turn his Institute of Religious Science and Philosophy into the church of religious science, and to build the physical church, which is now known as Founders Church in Los Angeles, where my parents were married, which is kind of cool, and it may come as no surprise that I grew up listening to Bill Hornaday's radio show every week, unsurprisingly, it was also called This Thing Called Life. So Bill's teaching is kind of like a metaphysical comfort food for me. In your Aladdin's lamp, he tells us the true stories about the days in the 1940s and 50s in L.A. before the Institute 
Again, it was originally called the Institute of Religious Science and Philosophy before it became a church. And in it, there's this amazing story of a conversation between Bill Hornaday and a New York cab driver, Julius Podholtz, who moved to L.A. and had an alarming case of negative thinking, to say the least. So this morning, I want to tell that true story. And I've paraphrased it a bit to reflect modern times. But pay close attention because it proves the power of taking a vacation from negative thinking. Better yet, I'm going to let you watch the story unfold. Imagine, if you will, a small business office. There's a desk with a name plaque which reads Dr. Bill Hornaday, Institute of Religious Science and Philosophy. Dr. Hornaday sits behind the desk, quietly working, when a woman rushes in as though she's on a mission, and she is of sorts. Uh, There's a cab driver here with a note for you, Bill. He says he's promised Marion to let you talk to him for five minutes. The note is from one of the church practitioners. It reads, Dear Dr. Bill, this will introduce Julius Podholtz, the most alarming case of negative thinking I've ever encountered. He is like an accident going somewhere to happen. I simply couldn't get through to him. But now, he has agreed to spend five minutes talking with you. Do what you can. He needs help. Marion. This crazy dame give me this here $50 bill to listen to you for five minutes, Doc. Start talking. Julius looks pointedly at his watch. Hey, you're a head shrinker or something? Definitely or something. Tell me, Julius... When did you leave Brooklyn? Oh, smart. Notice my accent, huh? I left one whole terrible year ago, Doc. I was out of my mind. Out of the frying pan, into the fire, that's me. Any dimwit would have known. Not potholes. Things aren't going well? Things stink, Doc. How did you happen to come west? Sunshine. (laughs) Sarah, my wife, talks about California sunshine. You ever see the sunshine through the smog, Doc? Right away, I got asthma. Can't smoke, gain 18 pounds, got headaches, and feel sick. But the kids get big California appetites, eat like monsters. You know how many meals I got to provide? 18 a day. In a week, it's 89 In a month, it's 272. In a year, it's astronomical. And me, getting 50-cent tips, driving a cab. Brother, how I long for the noise and stink and freezing cold and sweat and heat of Brooklyn. Now, I'm stuck now. Know what landed us here? Sarah. Way back when, when we was first married... She made a deal with me. She said that she'd stop complaining about these Saturday crap games I used to play, but I had to agree that if I ever won big, I'd have to move us to wherever she wanted. And so I agreed. It was all fun and games until I won. And how? 
On a throwaway bet, even, California sunshine, she says. It'll be great, she says. And out we come, those chomping monsters eating hamburgers like locusts across all them states and deserts, looking for sunshine, see? And landing in the thick black smog. It's a par for the course, though. That's me. That's potholes. I see. Tell me, how old are you, Julius? Younger than I look, Doc. I aged lately. Nothing ages an old hack like a 50-cent tip. How does one earn a 50-cent tip? You got the right word, Doc. I sure earned it. You know what I done? I carried grocery snacks up three flights of rickety stairs for a little old lady I drove home the other day, and she gave me 50 cents. In pennies yet. No tip for the fare and pennies, pennies for the groceries. That's the bottom of a long, lousy, downhill slide. Remembering that he only agreed to a short meeting, Julius pointedly looks at his watch again and with mild impatience. Start talking, Doc. I'm holding still for it. <clears throat> Fifty bucks for five minutes, the lady gimme. First big tip in the Golden States, eh? What kind of racket is this, anyway? At the moment, I'm doing research for a book. So you're a taxi driver, correct? Tell me, have you got a good cab? Me? <laughs> a good cab? Doc, you never saw anybody get so many lemons. I got lemons all the time. I had a tire blowout when I wasn't even sitting in it. I was on a stool having coffee. Another time, I'm parked at a diner, see, having lunch. And guess what? A juvenile skids around the corner and bashes my fender flat. How's that for terrible? And once, on a freeway at night, my gas tank sprung a leak for no reason. But I didn't find it out until we was in the country. And my fare was a big, gimpy guy with a sprained ankle, late for his appointment, and I had to almost carry him a mile. And then <laughs> it started raining. He had a big, bleeding heart from everybody out here. Mr. Nice Guy, he tips me two measly bucks and then digs around and adds another 50 cents. Big spender, that guy. And your wife? Sarah, is it? Tell me about her. Sarah? She's got a new thing she's into lately, Doc. She's trying for culture, see? Like yesterday, in a bus, she finds this magazine somebody threw away. Gourmet. It's spelled with a T, but you say it, gourmet. Now, listen to this. I'm here getting 50-cent tips, and thanks to a dumb magazine, she wants to cook with butter and serve hors d'oeuvres, whatever that is. Imagine them little monsters eating hors d'oeuvres. Life's been using you pretty hard, has it, my friend? Now look, Doc. Life don't use me no harder than anybody else. Life stinks. It's hell. How does Sarah feel about it? Yeah? How should she feel? She's one of them dolls that keep choking back the tears. I like it better when they just bust out and cry. Tell me this. Do you love her? Does she love you? Huh? 
Did you love each other when you were married? Hey, what is this racket? This one of them marriage consultations? How would you like to make another $50? The words surprise both Bill and Julius. Julius gives Bill his steely attention. Then he puts his cap on and tilts his head back, looking at Bill with his eyes shadowed by the visor. The gesture conveys caution, contempt, and his imminent departure. Doing what exactly, Doc? Research. Yeah? This going to be a paper chase or something? What's next? Not at all, Julius. I just want you to try an experiment. Whether it works or not, I'll give you 50 bucks this time next Friday morning. Yeah? Experiment with what? Your mental attitude. Attitude? Me? What do you mean? This is the Institute of Religious Science. We have a theory which has proven out consistently for almost 30 years. May I interject for a moment here? Remember, this was written in the 1950s. That means the research he's talking about began in the 20s. 1927, to be exact. Let's do the math. Why, that's almost a hundred years of affirmative, confirmative proof, my friends. How about them apples? We believe that everyone, including you, Julius, has something within them which can be used to change everything they dislike in their life. Julius stands hitches up his pants, cocks his head, and regards Bill sideways. But he is listening intently. There's a technique we use. We've discovered that everything in life responds to our attitudes, our ideas. If you think people are unappreciative, they will be. If you expect a bad day, you'll have one. If your mind is grudgingly fixed on small tips... Small tips are exactly what you'll get, or none. If your service is rendered only for money, you may miss out entirely. So let's see how that's working for you. Your present attitude has bought you 50-cent tips. You admit it. It's also given you an old stained jacket, 5 o'clock shadow, hard luck, and cabs that break down. If I show you the technique we use... If I tell you exactly how to do it, will you reverse your attitude? Will you sweat out the affirmative and report back to me on Friday? Reverse my attitude? Flip it over. Right now, you view everything through dark-tinted lenses, peering into shadows and ignoring the light. Are you so stubborn as to believe that's the only perspective there is? Sweat out the alternative? Huh? If you do this, it won't be easy. You'll earn your $50 if you manage to be consistent from now until Friday. You'll have to climb out of the hell you say you're in. What's this you're talking about now? A self-created hell. That's the only kind there is, Julius. Are you willing to do some tough work without letting yourself slip up and go back to your current default attitude? Julius nervously shifts his weight to one leg and now stands hip-cocked with his hands in his hip pockets and his head back as if seeking answers on the ceiling. 
You'll have to watch every thought, every word you say, and you'll consistently substitute love for hate. You'll have to think, speak, and behave in the exact opposite way you do now. You'll have to be positive all the time. Willing to try it? Or do you think you're too far gone? I'm not the kind of guy who'd turn down a wager, Doc. What comes first? First, courtesy, which is one aspect of love you may not have tried lately. Be polite. In fact, be enthusiastic. When a fair hails you, greet them cheerfully. Get out and open the door. Get out and open the door? Exactly. And smile. I know it's been a while since you've done it, but I hear it's like riding a bike. It'll be easy to smile once you get the hang of it. You might even like it. And don't allow any negative remarks past your lips. Nobody sees the whole truth, Julius. There are as many viewpoints as there are people, but you have a choice. And until Friday, you're to take the bright side. It's kind of like a gimmick, huh? It's like tuning the knob on a TV set. Try it. You might possibly tune in. For the sake of context, let me jump in here. Although a lot of this play has been reworked to reflect modern times, it was originally written in the days when remote controls and dedicated TV channels didn't exist. There were only manual switches and knobs for control. I know it's hard to imagine, but that's how things were in the mid-1900s. Yes, that's what the kids are calling it, the 1900s. But I digress. So, then what? You'll succeed if you clarify your motives. <clears throat> Think it out first. Let's have a policy for the cab. Every successful business operates on a policy, right? It may help if you pretend you are taking the cab. No matter what they might do to provoke you, treat the customer as you want to be treated. Ah, uh, that's old hogwash. Don't kid me, Doc. I went to Temple a few times. What hurts you don't do to the other guy. It's nothing but old-time Jewish religion. That's the old stuff. Goes way back. Ever try it? It ain't practical in the cab business. I think it is. That's my point. Fifty dollars for a good, hard try. Anybody make you a better offer? You got a little bitty offer for such a cheerful guy with those big ideas. One day, you'll find me in a bigger one, with a glass wall and a garden outside. Yeah. At the moment, it's an idea. But that's where everything starts. My idea will become concrete block and glass eventually, with the help of a few thousand other people who also hold the vision of a beautiful new church. Concrete. And a glass wall, you say? Listen, Julius. If it goes no further than this, understand this much. Above all else, you are your own best friend, right? No one looks out for you more than you look out for yourself. So what kind of friend are you being to yourself when every thought in your mind is destructive? Julius abruptly turns his back on Bill and walks into the hall. But his footsteps slow 
and he returns to the doorway. For a moment, he stands there. Then, with a smile that's almost a grimace, he takes off his cap, bows at the waist, and giving a salute, he says, Wanna ride with Smiley Pothole Spell? It was unintentionally funny, and Bill and Julius roar with laughter. A comedian lurks in the soul of all true Brooklynites, and it has been a long time since Julius has gotten such a laugh. A huge grin shows his big, even teeth as a long, dormant humor stirs within him. He walks out, still chuckling, and that's that. With sermons to write, appointments to keep, and people to see, Bill forgets about his agreement with Julius Potholz that week. The following Friday morning, he's writing a sermon in his office when a vaguely familiar hat sails past him and lands on the floor near the desk. It is worn, battered, but somehow jaunty. Julius Potholz, grinning from ear to ear, comes in to retrieve it. Keep your 50 bucks, Doc. Brother, this stuff sure works. Things are all right now? Well, yeah. Everything's terrific. Except for Sarah, anyway. What's wrong with Sarah? Uh, no communication. She's got it in her head. I've been shooting craps again, huh? Reaching into his pocket and holding out a fat wallet that's nearly bursting with money... He says, Look, see what I've made for myself since I've seen you? That's all take-home pay. 1046 bucks. You need any dough, pal? Well, what happened, Julius? I want to hear all about it. Miracles, Doc. For a while, I'm thinking it's a, what do you call it, a coincidence. Then pretty soon, I figure it can't be, Doc. That's impossible. Wait till you hear this. It'll give you the chills. You know the first fare I got when I left here? Listen, I cruise over to the Chapman Park Hotel, see, and there's an old guy waiting and no cabs. He's a sad-faced, gray-haired, tired fella. I jumped out and opened the door for him. He seemed surprised. Why, thank you, he says. He wants to go to the airport, so I start telling him about how great the freeways are, that reversed what I used to say about them anyway, like, like you said. And then the more I talk, the better they begin to look, for real, more convenient-like and faster. And then I think of all the trouble the engineers went to mowing down houses, getting quit claims, all of the legal stuff they got to go through and start telling him about it. Man. I noticed there's a kind of silence in the back seat. And when I looked in the rearview mirror, this guy's smiling like somebody just gave him the winning lotto ticket. And you know the kicker? Turns out he's on the highway commission in Sacramento, and he ain't never heard no kind word about highways for 15, 20 years. He's got 55 minutes before his plane, and he says... How about lunch? He wants to hear all about it from an everyday Joe. See, like out of the horse's mouth. So he don't care how I look, see. And, and he takes me 
to this swell airport joint for chow. I keep pumping up good ideas about the freeways, compliments, see? And, and I got to be honest, Doc, I feel it. Honest to God, I do. And he takes notes in a little book. He follows me all the way to the door. We shake hands, and he give me $200. His fare was only 20 bucks. I swear, I, I started shaking. I was so surprised. I'm stunned, see? My cab is parked in the lot, and I go heading over there, still reeling, and who do I see standing right by my cab but an egghead with thick, horn-rimmed glasses, four suitcases, wants to go to Caltech in Pasadena. So we start going. He asks how things are around here, and I tell him it couldn't be better. I reverse everything about L.A., see? He talks smog. I talk clear blue skies. He talks crowded freeways. I talk speed. He gets to be like a game. Then he's watching the meter, and he asks, how's tips? Well, I tell him, tips is fantastic. Last guy, give me over $100, I tell him, because I didn't think he'd believe it was $200. But he don't want to be a cheapskate. So when we get to Caltech, he shells out the fare, which is plenty, and then he adds $300 bills. He was coming back from Las Vegas, and, and he won lots. How's that for wonderful? After that... <laughs> I go to the Green Hotel. There's four cabs already in line, but right away, a convention full of people comes out, and I get a drunk guy, wants to go to the Coliseum. He's happy drunk, see, and loaded with dough. I give him the business, and by now, I'm singing like a canary on a Sunday morning, like actually singing. And well, that's the way it's been. Couldn't be better except for Sarah. Did you tell her about this? Did you explain how it works? Doc, how can I? I come in whistling and she says, look out kids, he's drunk. And I'm sober as an owl, I swear. And her saying that makes me kind of sore, you know? Then I shell out some dough on the table for her to buy herself this British raincoat she's always wanted. And instead of being happy about it, she gets all frowny. Says, I've been shooting craps again. Doc, my blood boils, see? I can look on the bright side all day long when I'm away from Sarah. But when I get home, brother, Sarah and me got no communication. After all that, I froze up. And so she froze up. Now I go out of the house mornings tap dancing and singing just to get into the mood, you know? And she thinks I got plastered during breakfast. Says she can't see how I did it, but I must have. That's her attitude. 100% negative. I, I want you to call her up, Doc. Tell, tell her it wasn't no craps game. Tell her, tell her it's just this old Jewish philosophy you got me doing. Hmm. Tell me, when was the last time you took Sarah out to dinner, Julius? Out to dinner? You mean out, out, like Chinese food or something? Can't remember? Well, it's well past due then. Take her out. 
alone, without the kids, to someplace special. And when the candles are lit and you've ordered her favorite dinner, tell her all about this. Tell her the truth. <laughs> she ain't speaking to me. Now you're sounding negative. Care to rethink it? Well, I'm speaking, but she ain't. I've never known a spouse who didn't like to go out to dinner. No dishes, no planning, no household schedule to keep. Just a nice night out where somebody else does all the work. I don't know, Doc. I, I tried explaining this affirmative stuff to her, my best buddy. And at the, the garage, my best buddy thinks I'm nuts. I mean, if he thinks that, what's Sarah going to think? Sarah will listen. You've already let your example show what's happened. Although she's not showing it, she must secretly be puzzled. You reversed your thinking outside of your home, and amazing things happened. It will work at home, too. It works everywhere, Julius. It does, huh? You mean, be all gentlemanly-like, act all polite, pull out her chair for her and, and all, that whole bit? Okay, I'm going to try it tonight. And he does. And it all goes as perfectly as he'd imagined it could. A little over a week later, at the Wiltern Theater, Dr. Bill Hornaday is standing out front shaking hands and greeting people after the Sunday service he's just held there. When her turn comes, a beaming Mrs. Julius Puddles reaches out to shake his hand. Her accent matches Julius's, cadence for cadence. She's a perky little woman in a new overcoat, which, when he compliments her on it, she says she plans to shorten it later, but she just bought it yesterday. It's revoiceable, kind of like my Julius. Doctor, it's like I had two husbands, see? But the best one on the inside, you know? Now it's Julius Potholes turn inside out, like back before we was married. It's a miracle. He takes me to Chan Su's cafe, and at first he sounds a little crazy, talking about some law we didn't know about, and how being polite is part of love and brings good reactions. And pretty soon, I mean, he's shining, in a way, kind of like a kid does when they really get excited about something. And I'm so happy to see him like that, and we keep on talking for a long time. And then he stops, right in the middle of a sentence and says, and look, it's even working at home because look at us talk. If he wants, I should read up on philosophy and stuff and tell him more about it. My Julius ain't what you call a fast reader, you know. Why don't you two come in to see me? But I want to warn you, the rest of the way might not be easy sometimes. It's a curious fact which each discovers in his own fashion. The coincidences, the answers to prayer, come tumbling over one another in the beginning. And then, once you're thoroughly convinced, suddenly there's work to do. And dry periods, too. Until sometimes, like the monk with the aching knees, the most devout find themselves saying, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. That's okay with me. We never had it easy. 
It used to be I could just bust down and cry. But Julia's changed so much since we got married. But now I've found out he's revoiceable, and so am I. I couldn't want for more now that my Julius is back. I now got hope, Doc. I got hope. Let's hear it again for our players. And they didn't even get one full run through. That's pretty awesome. That was my dad, Reverend Terry, as Julius Podholtz. My hubby, Mike Milligan, as Bill Hornaday. Our own magic, Maggie Bryant, as the narrator. And Mona Ross as Sarah Podholtz, the woman who gets the last word. <laughs> Only in Los Angeles can you find that much talent in a single congregation. Thank you guys for playing along with me today. So after watching our little reader's theater play, do you see what can happen when you take a vacation from negativity? And if Julius Podholtz, the most alarming case of negative thinking the Institute of Religious Science and Philosophy had ever encountered, if he can do it, then so can we all. And it really is that simple. So let's make a promise today. Let's make a promise to ourselves. The promise that every time we notice something we don't like, or we start thinking about the stuff that's stressing us out, the stuff that irritates us or frustrates us or angers us, every time we're tempted to grumble and complain or just plain holler, we're going to catch that thought and flip it over. We're going to choose a positive perspective, and then we're going to act upon that positivity using it as a springboard to launch us to the next moment of transformative thought and action every single time. And we're going to seek every opportunity to express the positive, even and especially when we're surrounded by the negativity of others. And we're going to keep going until instead of thinking and saying the opposite of whatever negative thought we would normally default to, we erase that default altogether until the first thing we think in every situation we encounter, the first thing we notice is the good in it. And when we do that, we'll find that scarcity and anger and fear and stress and negativity, all those things we talked about this month, no longer exist in your life. It's really that simple. Thank you. <laughs>